0: i do encourage you to go back and listen to the first five messages we've done about five hours probably probably close to five hours worth of teaching on this subject already uh and we'll do two more messages so it'll be probably about a seven hour total series and even that as you know is really just scratching the surface on really what is going on this is this is what's happening is that the antichrist is is seating his government right now i don't know who the antichrist is i don't think the antichrist even knows who the antichrist is the devil probably doesn't even know who the antichrist is because the devil isn't god he doesn't know everything he doesn't know the future i think the devil's always got someone waiting in the wings like a hitler or like a napoleon or like a nero that he could call up and that he could empower and he could possess The devil himself possesses rulers sometimes in history uh, to basically try and bring in the devil's kingdom, uh, which is what he wants to do. But I don't think the devil even knows necessarily who the Antichrist is. Maybe I'm wrong, but we, we shouldn't be looking for the Antichrist. We as the church are looking for Jesus Christ. We're not going to be here when the Antichrist is revealed. He's revealed halfway through the tribulation period. Some people believe he'll be revealed right at the beginning. I don't necessarily know that that's what the Bible teaches. It may not be this big public peace treaty with Israel that identifies who the Antichrist is. It may be actually only when this world leader who's part of the global network of leaders that takes over the world through this great reset and the new world order that they've been planning for a long time uh, to take over the world from a revived Roman empire, that once this one leader is apparently or, or appears to be killed or assassinated and then comes back to life, or appears to come back to life in a counterfeit resurrection, and the great tribulation period begins, again, I don't think the church will be here to see that. I think we are the restraining force, the Holy Spirit through the church is restraining the evil one, holding back the wickedness. The devil would take over this world today if he could, but he can't because Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So we shouldn't be really caught up in who the Antichrist is and talking about, oh, it's this guy or it's that guy. We, we, It may be another 50 or 100 years before all of this happens, and this may just be more uh, of the stage being set and, 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 and the Uh, everything being put into place, all the pieces being moved into place for the Antichrist government. It may not be in our lifetime. We could be gone before the Antichrist comes. So the bottom line is, is that we're all living in our own version of the last days. By the time we're old enough to even realize what's going on, we get saved, we get a little bit of understanding of the Bible prophecy, we get a little bit of understanding of what it means to live for Christ and not live for ourselves maybe you're 45 or 50 years old before you kind of figure that out, that it's not all about you, uh, that God has a plan that he wants to do through you, well, then you may only have 20 or 25 or 30 years to really serve the Lord before you're going to go to be with the Lord. I mean, 70 or 80 years is really all that we're allotted. And if you get more than 80 years, you're, you're a very fortunate or perhaps unfortunate individual because your quality of life declines pretty steadily after you hit 80, 85, 90 years old. Uh, you know, we're, we're all living in the last days, our own version of the last days. And so we have to think about that, that we're not going to be here forever. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and not be too wrapped up in the things, the material things and the cares of this world. And I want to make sure that you all understand, I'm not afraid of what's coming. You should not be afraid of what's coming. Things may change dramatically for us, but that's okay. God is still on the throne. We don't have to fear anything. Jesus has gone ahead of us. He's gone before us. He's going to be with us, and he is our rear guard. He's our vanguard. He goes with us wherever we are, and so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of back off a little bit on a lot of the prophecy information because I know that it could be a little bit overwhelming for people. It could be a little bit scary for people. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll delve into some more uh, headlines and so forth next Sunday. And then we'll be back in uh, Isaiah uh, for our chapter and verse study through Isaiah this Wednesday night. So uh, would you open please with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1, where Paul the Apostle is telling us not to fear and not to worry of concerning the day of the Lord and the second coming of Christ. And I've entitled this message, this is part six of the Great Reset, I've entitled this message, Discerning the Times, Discerning the Times. So 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1. We'll read verses 1 to 11. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, so this is to the church, this is to the Christian, this is to the believer. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons and daughters, I would say, of light, or children of light, and children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, very important. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or whether we sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify or build one another up just as you also are doing. And so this whole idea of the Antichrist coming and the one world government and the mark of the beast as true as it is and as amazing as it is that the Bible predicted all of these things thousands of years ago, um, it's really not for the church. We're not going to be here. I strongly believe we will be raptured prior to the great tribulation. I don't know if we're going to be raptured uh, prior to the entire tribulation. That's our position, the whole seven years of the tribulation period, Um Uh, I don't believe the church will be here. I think that seven years is dedicated for Israel. It's the 70th week of Daniel, uh, and it's uh, specifically for Israel and national Israel's salvation, according to Daniel chapter 9, Verses 24 to 27 really has nothing to do with the church. It's for Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel. Um, But I'll tell you this much. We cannot be here for the great tribulation period because that's when God is going to pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. He's not going to pour his wrath out on his own people, on his own body. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't suffer uh, under the... uh, the world system or persecution or Satan, who's the God of this world, Christians and saints have suffered for thousands of years because uh, uh, Satan is the God of this world. Satan is the one uh, who man has yielded himself to, to obey. And therefore Satan has become the one who, uh, who people follow and listen to and And yet, that's not us we're we're not of this world, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so God is not going to pour out his judgment and his wrath upon uh, his people, upon his body, upon his bride. He's going to pour out his wrath during the great tribulation period upon Satan's kingdom and upon those who willfully choose to follow the devil. And that's not us, guys. So again, this is a message of comfort. This is a message of hope. In judgment, in the Bible, God always distinguishes between the good and the evil, between the righteous and the wicked, between the sheep and the goats, between the wheat and the tares, God always distinguishes when He pours out judgment, He distinguishes between those who are His people, even if it's a very small remnant, and those who are against Him. And so the the, the key is for, for you and I to just be right with God, to just be those who are God's people, those who are serving the Lord, those who are looking to be useful to God in our lives because we're all living in our own version of the last days, and we need to be Awake, we need to be sober minded. We need to be children of the light uh, and of the day and not of the darkness because Jesus said, There will come a day. Uh, when uh, when it'll be night, and and no one will be able to work. He said, work while it is yet day. I believe Jesus is talking about when the Antichrist comes during the great tribulation period, and the devil's man is ruling over the earth, that is going to be a very, very dark time, but we're not going to be here for that time. There will be a lot of people who will get saved during that time. It'll probably be the greatest revival uh, in all of church history in the sense of people coming to faith during the great tribulation period, because all the people that are left behind, your loved ones, my loved ones, who are not believers, who think we're crazy, who think that we're, you know, out to lunch and all the rest. And then when we're all gone and we're all raptured out of here, uh, they're going to remember what we have told them. And I think a lot of people are going to get saved rather than take the mark of the beast. Although... At that time, they will be killed as martyrs. The majority of them will be killed as martyrs, as the tribulation saints. And we're going to see here today that that group who was martyred during the great tribulation are a separate and distinct group of people from the church. It's not the church who was martyred during the great tribulation. Again, it's the wrath of Jesus Christ being poured out according to Revelation chapter 6. It's the wrath of God being poured out. And the wrath of Jesus Christ is not going to be poured out on the body of Jesus Christ. Think about it. It's not logical that Jesus would pour his wrath out upon himself. We're his body. We are the body of Christ. We are his bride. We will be in heaven with him. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. In this world, you will suffer persecution. Uh, all Jesus says, uh, John 16, But be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. Paul the Apostle says, all who desire to live godly uh, shall suffer persecution. And so uh, we know that there is a a cost to pay for following Jesus, but it's not the great tribulation. We're not going to suffer the wrath of Almighty God. We're, We're God's people, and the Lord always distinguishes between His people and those who are the children of the devil or the children of the enemy. So uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11, it is a message of comfort, it is a message of hope uh, concerning the times and the seasons. Brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, and when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman Woman, and they shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as A thief and so Paul the Apostle is telling us uh, he's telling us we don't have to worry about this we don't have to stress about this as a matter of fact he tells us in the previous chapter in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 remember there's no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts or the original scrolls it's one message the whole book of 1st Thessalonians is one scroll and so we read in uh, 1st Thessalonians 4 verse 13 but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren Concerning those who have fallen asleep, or those who have died, basically. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we... Who are alive and remain? So Paul the Apostle was saying, we, including himself, thinking that this could have happened in his lifetime. So we always need to be looking for the return of Jesus. He says, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says this, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And he goes right into the next chapter. There's no chapter break in the original letter. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you for yourselves know perfectly well. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So he's telling us in this message, we're not going to be here for it. We're not going to be here. The rapture is going to happen first. That's what he's telling us. He says, even those who have died in Christ are going to come back with Jesus. The souls or spirits of those who have gone before us, all the church fathers and all of those who have been throughout church history, Billy Graham and Chuck Smith and Ravi Zacharias and, you know, uh, Spurgeon and Wesley and uh, Finney and all the greats, all the apostles and All of the the people that have for 2,000 years gone before us, your loved ones and mine that are Christians that have gone before us, they're going to come back with Jesus at the rapture. They're going to get their resurrected bodies. We're going to be raptured. He says, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Uh, Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, so those who have died... Their spirits are coming back with Jesus. They're going to have their resurrected bodies at this time before us. Then we, Paul includes himself in this, indicating he thought it could happen in his lifetime, who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is the rapture. The uh, word caught up is uh, the uh, Greek word harpazo, which is translated raptos in the Latin, from which we get the word rapture it's the idea of being taken and pulled up and pulled out of this world and notice that we're not dead we're alive for him to come back and to take us with him to heaven we who are alive and remain and so we are not afraid we're not worried uh it is a, it, it is definitely a message of hope that no matter what is coming upon this world number one god is in control god is on his throne God has told us all of these things in advance. So because of that, we don't have to fear what's coming. And again, that doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer the loss of our possessions or we, we might you know, end up in jail for our faith. But guess what? There's people all over the world who lose their possessions for Jesus Christ in Muslim countries, in communist countries, etc. And Jesus loves them just as much as he loves uh, the church here in America. So we don't have to fear. The, the, the bottom line is, is that the Lord uh, is coming back for us, for his people. And we will not be here for the great tribulation period because 1st Thessalonians 5 9 reminds us for God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ we're not appointed for the wrath of God we're not appointed for the judgment of God we will not be here for the Great Tribulation, because that's the wrath of God, the judgment of God being poured out upon God's enemies and upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And you know, you may not like the fact that there's people who are rejecting Jesus Christ in your family, your coworkers, your friends, but look, you can't force people to believe on Jesus. Uh, you know, you could tell them the truth, you could share the gospel with them, you could share sermons with them and share messages with them and share information, but it's up to them to respond. It's up to them to actually surrender their life to Christ. You can't make anybody believe on Jesus. You can't coerce them or convince them or force them to believe on Jesus. That would be a false conversion. God gives every one of us a free choice, a free will to either choose or reject. And right now God is sifting the tares from the wheat. He's sifting the sheep from the goats. And I think it's a surprise to a lot of Christians to see how few there are in the church that are truly believers and truly surrendered to God during this time. The Lord is doing a great revealing of the hearts of his people and those who are not his people In these days. Uh, In Second Peter and chapter two, we read this in verse four. Second Peter chapter two and verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Very clearly, the Lord distinguishes in judgment between his people and his enemies. Uh, You remember uh, Abraham was negotiating with God Uh, In Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 19, where Abraham was Pleading, begging God not to wipe out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because he had family there. His nephew was there, Lot, whom he loved. And Abraham was saying, Lord, if there's 50, would you spare the city for the 50? God says, yes, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom, I'll spare the whole city for the sake of the 50. He says, well, what if there's 45? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10 righteous people in Sodom, Lord? You would not wipe out the righteous with the wicked, would you, God? You're a righteous God, Abraham is telling the Lord. And the Lord says, yes, if there's 10 righteous, I will spare the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah if there's 10 righteous. But there wasn't 10 righteous. There was only Lot. And, you know, his wicked daughters and his wicked wife, really. I mean, Lot was the only one that was really saved. And then Lot's family was pulled out, but Lot's wife looked back. She didn't want to leave. She wanted to go back into Sodom. Uh, and so she was turned to a pillar of salt. That's why Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back, in other words, at the things of this world if the Lord is calling you out. But the. You know, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is a city of God's judgment upon a wicked people, but he pulled out the righteous before he obliterated the wicked, you see. Uh, With Noah, same thing. God called Noah. He was a righteous man. Noah built an ark. Noah preached for 120 years while he was building his ark. Nobody listened. Uh, It was a world filled with violence. It was a a world filled with perversion uh, before the flood. And and God was calling Noah to build an ark and to save mankind. And it was only Noah and his family that that were responding to the call of God. But God did not wipe out righteous Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives and two of every kind of animal, as you know. He spared them because God distinguishes between the wicked and between the righteous when he judges. Uh, It's interesting that Jesus told us that it's going to be just like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah before he comes back. It's going to be just like the days of Noah before the flood, before he comes back. We read, for example, in Luke chapter 17 and verse 26, Jesus says this, And as it was in the days of Noah so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. Likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. And so Jesus is telling us, before he comes back, it's going to be just like it was in the days of. Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. And before Noah's flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were planting fields, starting businesses, they were marrying and giving a marriage. They didn't know that they were going to be obliterated by the flood. Uh, The unbelievers, the believers were preparing. Noah and his family were building their ark and they were spared and they were safe. Uh, Also same with uh, Lot. Uh, In the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planned, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, he removed uh, Abraham's nephew first. The angels actually literally, literally dragged Lot and his family out of the city, and the angels told Lot, "We cannot judge this city until you're out of it. We have to get you out of here before we could obliterate this place." And so God distinguished between the righteous and the wicked. And, it, and you know, you and I would look at Lot and say, "Man, that." Not a great example of righteousness, but God says he was a righteous man in his era, in his days, among the wicked people uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God, God pulled Lot out before he rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And again... Uh, the interesting thing about the days of Noah is that they were defined by wickedness, rebellion, by every man doing what is right in his own eyes, by uh, sexual perversion. The sons of God came down and, uh, and took the daughters of men and, 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 and took them and married them and had children. And they were the Nephilim, the giants of the earth and so forth. And God just had to wipe all of that clean. He had to wipe the slate uh, clean there with uh, the flood of, of Noah. But we read here in Ezekiel chapter 16 about the days of Lot. We all know that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was defined by rampant sexual perversion and homosexuality. But it's interesting that Ezekiel kind of gives us the, the, the root cause of that sinful city of Sodom. In Ezekiel 16 uh, verse 48 God says this, as I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. He says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom, your sister city Sodom. Now you're going to think that he's going to say what we think he's going to say, right? Sodomy or sodomites or homosexuality, but that's not what he says. He says, she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness and neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy and they were haughty and they committed abomination before me therefore I took them away as I saw fit and so the root of the sin of Sodom was this that she was full of pride she uh, had too much food She had an abundance of idleness, too much downtime on her hands, or the people had just nothing to do, so they obviously are going to get into trouble, and neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. In other words, selfishness. They weren't concerned with the people who were suffering, or the people who were hungry, or the people who were needy. This was the root cause of the sin of Sodom that led to a homosexual culture. And it's interesting that as we look at all of the nations that have uh, basically gone down the drains morally, and then that's the end of their empire or their nation, like the Greek empire, the Roman empire. Uh, You could look at other, uh, uh, you know, more modern uh, nations that have gone down the tubes. But it's often this same pattern. They are full of pride. They have way more food than they need to eat. They have too much time on their hands. And they don't care about anybody else. And so then they go into all sorts of aberrant, sexual behaviors because they're just trying to find a thrill they're trying to find a high they're trying to find some fun or something uh to to you know satisfy their lust or whatever and so i would say that according to ezekiel chapter 16 verses uh 48 through 50 that america looks a lot like this today america looks a lot like a nation uh that is full of pride full of food too much time on our hands, and we don't care about the poor and the needy. And sadly, uh, there are even some churches that are beginning to look like this in America. Uh, and and that is definitely something that we need to wake up and we need to realize um, we are certainly living in the days of Lot. We are certainly living uh, in the days of Noah, in the sense that this is our uh, this is our version of the last days, and God is going to spare His people. He's going to deliver the righteous before he judges the wicked. Now in 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2, so you have to understand the context of 1 Thessalonians coming before 2 Thessalonians because the church in Thessalonica, when uh, Paul the apostle wrote the first letter the assumption was is that they had read the first letter, 1 Thessalonians, before they read the second letter, which is 2 second, second Thessalonians. So God has already told these, these believers, don't be afraid, don't worry, even if your loved ones die, it's not the end. Their spirits are with Jesus, they're going to come back with him. There's going to be a resurrection, it's called the rapture, the harpazo, the catching up of the saints to be with God. We're going to get our resurrected bodies at this time. And therefore, comfort one another with these words. And we don't have to worry about uh, the wickedness that's coming and the wicked day that's coming and the darkness that's coming. Because we're not appointed under wrath. We're appointed to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So after you understand 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, then you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul the Apostle is giving them some more details and some more clarification about the rapture and about the day of the Lord and so forth. And he says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. He's reminding them of what he already told them back in the first letter he wrote in 1 Thessalonians. He's saying, don't worry. Apparently there was a rumor that was going around that, uh, that, that there were letters floating around the churches apparently at this time saying that Christ had already come. That it, they were in the tribulation period, that they had missed the rapture, and, and and that their loved ones were dying. And Paul is saying, no. Remember what I already told you. I already wrote you about this. You guys don't have to worry. You don't have to fear that time. Remember, the rapture is coming. You're going to be taken up. We're going to be taken up to heaven because we're God's people and we're not appointed unto wrath. So that he's reminding them of this. He's saying concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be shaken in mind or troubled uh, as though this had already happened, like you missed the rapture and you were left behind or something like that. Then he says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed. So he's given him the whole thing of what's going to happen before the second coming of Christ to set up his kingdom here. Uh, The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who is the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is uh, called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed." whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Notice here that we are the ones who are restraining the Antichrist. He who is restraining will restrain the Antichrist until he's taken out of the way. This has to be speaking of the Holy Spirit within the church because Jesus said uh, the gates of hell will never prevail against my church and greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world and so we have to be removed out of the way before satan can take full possession of this earth satan doesn't have the ability to overcome jesus christ and we are the body of christ so just understand this we might be here for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, but we will not be here for the great tribulation period when Satan is ruling over this earth. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. He's saying, don't you remember I told you these things? Don't be confused by what you know, these uh, other letters are saying or these other uh, false prophets are telling you. He says that the restrainer has to be removed out of the way, verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. "...whom the Lord will destroy or consume with the breath of his mouth, destroy with the brightness of his coming." Verse 9, "...the coming of the lawless one, this is the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved." So this is coming upon the people who have rejected the love of the truth. They didn't receive the love of the truth. They didn't want Jesus Christ. They didn't want his salvation. And there's plenty of people like that in our lives. They don't even want to hear about this. They don't want to hear about what's happening. They don't want to believe that the Antichrist government is being formed right before our eyes. They don't want to believe that there's going to be this great tribulation period. They think somehow that we're going to be here forever and that we're going to conquer the world for Christ and Kingdom Now theology, that everybody's going to believe on Jesus. And then maybe Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom once the whole world is Christian. That's not what the Bible says is going to happen, guys. That's not the clear teaching of Scripture. The whole world's not going to turn to Jesus. Jesus says, when I return to the earth, will I find any faith at all? Jesus was letting us know there's only going to be a few who find the narrow road and who travel on that narrow road. Many are going to go on the broad road that leads to destruction. Uh, And yet, we are not going to be those who are here under the wrath of God. It's for those who follow the Antichrist It's for those who would rather believe the lie. It's for the unrighteous who believe the deception. It's those who are perishing. It's those who did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Look, if you're worried about being here for the great tribulation, just believe on Jesus and be saved, and then you don't have to worry about the great tribulation. It's just that simple according to the Scriptures. God's wrath is going to be poured out on those who have not received the love of the truth. Those who did not want Jesus Christ in his salvation. Verse 11 says, And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. In other words, God's going to give them what they want. God says, I'm not going to strive with man forever. He says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. Look how patient God has been with America. Look how patient God has been with this world. Look how wicked we are as a nation, you guys. The nation is not turning to Jesus Christ. We're not, we don't have the church flooded with people wanting to get saved or people you know, coming to Christ by thousands and tens of thousands and millions in this country of 350 million people. That's just not what we see. What we see is a great apostasy. We see a great falling away from the faith. God is revealing who his true people are uh, compared to the, the, the phony Christians. You know, the make-believers, as they used to say. They're just, you know, tares among the wheat. And God knows who are... His. And so we don't have to fear. God is going to give the people who rejected Jesus Christ what they want. They didn't want Jesus Christ. He's going to give them the devil's man, Antichrist. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness if you don't want to be here for this time then believe on Jesus this is for the people who are condemned because they didn't want to believe the truth of Jesus Christ they r- would rather believe the lie and they had pleasure in wickedness or unrighteousness and so we should not be soon shaken we should not be worried uh, we should not be fearful now, we do know that we are uh, certainly getting closer to the end. And, and we know that logically. We know that chronologically, that as we go through the calendar, as we go through history and go through the timeline, we're certainly closer to the return of Jesus Christ than they were 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 500 years ago. Uh, we don't know exactly when Jesus is coming Every generation, including Paul the Apostle, thought that it could happen in his time. Every great church and every great pastor throughout history has said it could be in my time while I'm, you know, here teaching you. It could be today. It might be tomorrow. Uh, You know, we're certainly closer today than we were yesterday. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But the bottom line is that we do not have to fear what is coming upon the earth. Now, before we... um, Go and look at, at at a couple more scriptures here. I do want to share a few of the notes that I have related to the great reset because we are doing this series on the great reset and i 'm trying to get some information out here to you about what is happening to set the stage and set the chessboard as it were for the Antichrist and for the devil 's man to come and just a couple of uh, of notes here quickly. Um, there was an interesting thing that happened last year actually and it would be two years ago now in 2019 um there's an article here from cnbc news that says nearly 150 ceos departed in november putting 2019 on track to be a record record year for executive exits Uh, It says this, 148 chief executives left their posts in November of 2019, according to business and executive coaching firm Challenger Gray and Christmas. Chief executives from Alphabet, which owns Google, United Airlines, Expedia, and SoulCycle said farewell in recent weeks. 2019 is on track to be the highest number of CEO departures on record. Uh, it, It says this. Several factors are contributing to the high rate of CEO turnover. One is a strong economy and high demand for C-level skills are attracting CEOs to new positions. Another is the ongoing uncertainty surrounding trade and regulations while emerging technologies continue to disrupt almost every industry said the firm's vice president, Andrew Challenger. Through November 1st, 480, I'm sorry, through November, 1,480 chief executives, these would be CEOs of corporations, major corporations, left their companies in 2019, which is the highest number on record in the first 11 months of the year. The highest total year on record was in 2008 when 1,484 CEOs departed when the economy was embroiled in the financial crisis. In the firm, uh, uh, the firm started tracking CEO departures in 2002. Perhaps the largest C-suite shuffle news recently surrounds Alphabet. This is Google, the parent company of Google, the world's third largest company. The company said... Uh, Alphabet CEO Larry Page will step down from the role and Google CEO Sundar Pichai will take over at the helm of both companies. Co-founder Sergey Brin will also step down as president of Alphabet and the role will be eliminated. Brandon Page who became CEO of Alphabet in 2015 said in a blog post, quote, it's the natural time to simplify our management structure, unquote. Then it talks about United Airlines, it talks about Expedia on and on. Now what did all of these CEOs know was happening in November of 2019? What did they know was coming? Think about that for a minute. Why did all the CEOs step out of their CEO roles and new people get put into the position right before COVID-19 happened? Right? So they they knew what was coming. They knew about COVID-19 before we knew about COVID-19 and they shuffled the people in charge of the companies to make sure that they had people in place who were going to do what the World Bank, the World Economic Forum, uh, the United Nations, and all of these other places uh, uh, you know in Europe were trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and put their people in the positions. So we have to understand, this was not something that is random. This is something that was planned. Event 201 in October of 2019, they did a war game scenario of a COVID outbreak pandemic with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and all the players who are running this COVID-19 response. They all drilled for this in October of 2019 in New York in event 201. How did they know what was coming three, four months later? You see, this is not something that everyone is reacting to. There's people who knew that this was coming, whether it's planned, whether this is a uh, infection that came out of the uh, lab in Wuhan, China, an infectious disease, disease lab where they developed uh, biological weapons in Wuhan, China. In this lab, whether this was a created uh, virus that was engineered and released onto the public, or whether they just knew that this was coming, whether they released the virus or whether they knew the virus was coming. These people are not omnipotent. Uh, they're not omniscient. They don't know everything. How did they know to step down? How did all these CEOs know to step down in 2019 so that we had more CEO departures in 2019 than any other year in history that it's been recorded? These people knew what was coming because they are part of it. The corporations of corporate America, big uh, corporate America is is a part of what's going on here, and this is part of the Great Reset. It's part of the Great Deception. It's part of the Great Delusion uh, that is coming upon the world. And again, it's not something that we need to fear. It's not something that we need to worry about. We just need to be aware that this is what's coming. Uh, it's interesting. There was a quote from uh, Aldous Huxley in 1961. Uh, Aldous Huxley was part of this group of people that were planning, really, to take over the world. Um, And he quoted this in the California Medical School in San Francisco in 1961, speaking about a future generation where, basically, they're going to take over the world. He says this, quote, There will be in the next generation or so a pharmacological method, So uh, related to pharmacology or drugs, pharmacological method of making people love their servitude and producing dictatorship without tears, so to speak, producing a kind of painless concentration camp for entire societies so that people will, in fact, have their liberties taken from them, but will rather enjoy it because they will be distracted from any desire to rebel by propaganda, or by brainwashing, or brainwashing enhanced by pharmacological methods. And this seems to be, he says, the final revolution." Unquote. This was in 1961. He was telling us exactly what was going to come when the One World Government, the New World Order, was going to uh, come and, and, and be established here uh, in our world. There's another article that I'm not going to get to this morning because I I want to keep going here, but we'll have more, I'll have more um, uh, kind of extra biblical information for you uh, in the next study on uh, next Sunday about the Great Reset. But let's turn to Revelation chapter 5 here as we um, finish up this message. Revelation chapter 5 says this in verse 7. This is the scene in heaven where the Lamb takes the scroll, which is the title deed to planet Earth that he purchased with his blood. And he's about to take the scroll, break the seals, and then come and take possession of planet Earth, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 7. Then he came, this is Jesus, the Lamb, and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Verse 14, Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. And ever. The 24 elders are a mystery group of people. Uh, I believe that the 24 elders represent the church, that the church is in heaven at the time that this is taking place. Uh, Revelation, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, "...after these things, and behold, I saw a door standing open in heaven." And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold a throne set in heaven, and the one sat on the throne. So John, who was having this vision that God showed him the future, John, representing the church, was raptured. He was taken into heaven after the church age was over. He was there before the throne of God, representing the church. He was raptured. He was caught up into heaven. There was a trumpet, and then he was taken and set in heaven. And then you see the 24 elders who are singing a song that only the church can sing. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. You have received Redeemed us to God by your blood. Who could say that but the church? Jesus, you have redeemed us by your blood. Out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, you have made us to be kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Only the church could say this, guys. So the church is not on the earth during the great tribulation period. We're not here. We are in heaven singing praises to our God, and even the elders fall down and worship him. They cast their crowns before the feet of Jesus. We're not on the earth. We're in heaven during the great tribulation period. Now there are tribulation saints who are here during the great tribulation period and we read about them in revelation chapter 6 these are the tribulation saints not the church a different group of saints there was the old testament saints israel there's the new testament saints the church then there's going to be the tribulation saints who are not israel or the church in the sense of old testament israel or new testament church it's a separate third group of god's people and we read this in revelation chapter 6 and verse 1 and we looked at some of this uh Uh, Last Sunday or the Sunday before, but I'm going to read this. So now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, Revelation 6 1, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse, and he who uh, sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And you remember that the Latin word for crown is what? Corona. So we came with a corona. And he conquered the earth with a corona, it literally says in the original language of the Latin Vulgate, which was the Bible for most of the last 2,000 years, was in Latin before it was translated into English. So they would have read, he's going to come, this antichrist, this false Christ, white, white, riding on a white horse, he's going to come with a corona or a crown, and he's going to conquer the whole world with it. Then we read in verse 3, he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying come and see, another horse fiery red went out, it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. So at this point uh, the Antichrist is, is uh, revealed and then the Antichrist seizes power through a crown and through a bow, not through war or through a military might, but he takes his Takes possession of the earth, and then he takes peace from the earth. So now we're talking the great tribulation period. We're not going to be here for this. Uh, f- fiery red horse, take peace from the earth. People will kill one another. They'll be given to them a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, "Come and see." So I looked, and behold, a black horse. He sat on it. it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius or a day's wage, three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So again, this is now speaking about the great tribulation period where you're going to have massive war, massive bloodshed. Then you're going to have massive famine on the earth and food shortages and hyperinflation where food is going to cost you Uh, 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 So much money that it's going to be literally a day's wage just to get enough food to feed one or two people. A quart uh, uh, of of wheat here for a denarius. That's like a, a box of Quaker oats or something for $150 or $200 for a, uh, a thing of, of Quaker Oats cereal, if you think about that. Or three quarts of barley, which is really a horse food or, or, or food for, for animals for a day's wage. But there's still gonna be fabulously wealthy people during this time, the economic uh, Babylon, the horror of Babylon, Revelation 17 and 18. He says, do not harm the oil and the wine. That uh, talks about the wealth and the wealthy people. They're gonna still be doing just fine during this time. Verse seven says, he opened the, the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Again, we're now in the Great Tribulation period. This is describing the Great Tribulation. The church is not going to be here. Uh, One-fourth of the earth's population right now would be close to two billion people are going to be killed uh, in the first part of the Great Tribulation period. Now you have the fifth seal and you have the martyrs. So chronologically, this is toward the middle or maybe even the end of the Great Tribulation period. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... The souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. This is not the church. This is the tribulation saints, and, and I'll show you this. You turn the next page, you look at chapter 7, verse 9, you see this group of people again, and we see who they are. Verse 9, after these things of chapter 7, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels stood around the throne and the elders that's the church and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worship God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen then one of the elders answered saying to me who were these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? It's interesting. The elders representing the church who were already in heaven during the great tribulation period. One of the elders comes up to John, who's trying to understand what he's seen. And, and the elder asks John, who are these that are, are, are in these white robes? Where did they come from? And the elder is probably telling John what he was thinking in his head. Like John was wondering, who are these people? They're not the church. John would have recognized them if they were the church. John didn't even know who these people are. He's like, who are these people that are dressed in in, in white robes and that are here uh, before the throne of God and before the Lamb? So the elder asked him, who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said, John the Apostle, sir, you know. Like John's like, I don't know who they are. I don't recognize them. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is not the church, guys. This is a different group of people that John didn't recognize. One of the elders representing the church is explaining to him, this is another group of people, John. These are the tribulation saints. These are those who weren't there for the rapture. They didn't believe on Jesus before the rapture. They were killed by the Antichrist and by the Antichrist government. They were the ones who we saw toward the end of the tribulation period in Revelation chapter 6 at the fifth seal. The cry of the martyrs who had been slain, who had been killed by the Antichrist. And uh, they were crying out for judgment, they were crying out for vengeance, for the blood of those who dwell on the earth, and now their number is complete, all the tribulation saints that are going to be killed are killed, and now God is saying, I'm going to comfort them. And notice here that he says that they are the ones who come out of the great tribulation the last three and a half years. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The church were already washed, and our robes are already white by the blood of the Lamb. See, these guys had to suffer before they were saved because they rejected Jesus Christ while they could have received him. And, and then they, during the tribulation period, they believed on Jesus Christ during the great tribulation, and it cost them their life. They're not the church. We are a kingdom of priests. We're going to reign with Jesus forever and ever. These are not the bride of Christ. These are those who are the servants of God. They serve Jesus day and night before his temple. Different group of people. The tribulation saints are not the church. So it's very important that we understand that. This is why we don't have to fear what is coming upon the world. We're not going to suffer the wrath of Almighty God because God already poured out his wrath upon his Son On the cross, and we are in Christ, and Jesus doesn't have to die again. His body doesn't have to suffer under the wrath of God twice. Uh, He died once for all time and for all the saints, the Bible tells us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, we read this For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul the apostle is saying this from his heart. He was suffering, but he was saying the sufferings of, of this present time are incomparable with the glory which is going to be revealed in us. So we know that we're going to have troubles in this life. I mean, this life has fallen. It's a broken world. It's a world that's in rebellion against its creator. We read in verse 28 of Romans 8, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Notice it's always foreknowledge before predestination in the Bible. So so don't get that reversed. It's foreknowledge, God knows the future, and then God only picks winners because he knows who's going to choose him. So it's foreknowledge of God based... uh, Whom he foreknew, based on predestination, or uh, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So, foreknowledge uh, and then predestination, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Whatever happens, guys, we don't have to fear what's coming. You know, we don't have to fear. God loves us. We are his people. We are his bride. We are his children. And uh, nothing, he says, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Nothing, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Uh, we're more than conquerors because we are in Christ and Christ is victorious he has conquered sin he's conquered hell he's conquered death he is seated at the right hand of of god the right hand of the throne of power and he is coming back again and he is going to judge this earth and he's going to wipe it clean and he's going to establish righteousness in the earth and he's going to rule with righteousness and judgment and peace will be the result of this for the first time since the fall of man in the garden of eden Uh, It's going to be peace on earth because man will once again be in harmony with God and sin will not be in between uh, God and his people. Um, Sin is our problem. We're all sinners. Sin is what hangs us up. Sin is what gets us to focus on ourselves and feel sorry for ourselves and be filled with, you know, self-pity and self-pride and, you know, self-worry and all these things. The idea really is to get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on Jesus, and find your identity in him, and know that God loves you, and he created you for himself. He created you in the image of God, and God has a plan for every single one of us. You just have to surrender your life to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. It's that simple, and I know that you're here because You love the Lord. You wouldn't be here otherwise, guys. I mean, you're breaking the law to be here, or at least the executive order to be in church. But look around. This place isn't filled by any stretch of the imagination. We don't have people busting uh, out at the seams here. We don't have to do five services because there's so many people wanting to come to a Bible teaching church in the last days to hear about the second coming of Christ. That's kind of a judgment in and of itself against the church to see how few churches there are that are even resisting to just keep their doors open, resisting the dictates of a godless government, just to keep the doors of the church open. Uh, And so I just want to encourage you, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the promises that we have, Lord. So many promises in your word, Lord, that we don't have to fear tomorrow. We don't have to worry. You tell us, Lord, not to be anxious for anything, but to give thanks in all things at all times, Lord. We know that many of your godly ones, many of your saints, Lord, many of your righteous ones uh, were martyred. Many of them were fed to the lions in the Roman Colosseums. Many of them were crucified under the wicked Roman emperors. Many of them were burned at the stake uh, during the heretical uh, inquisitions and so forth, Lord, throughout Europe's history. and. And Lord, we know that uh, we're not better than anyone else. We know, Father God, that if others have gone before us and they have suffered for their faith, Lord, it shouldn't surprise us that we're suffering some um, persecution or we're suffering that people think we're crazy or they think that we, um, you know, just don't really... Uh, we're not realistic about what's happening and we should just go along with the flow and and just take the vaccine and and stop rebelling against the government's orders lord there's many people lord god who are persecuting your people who are trying to stand up for righteousness and for truth but this should not surprise us lord you told us all of these things in advance you even told us that there was going to be a great number a great multitude who were going to reject the truth and want to believe the lie, Lord. So help us not to be surprised. Help us not to be worried. Help us not to be fearful. Uh, You tell us, Lord, God, to fear not. You tell us that perfect love casts out fear. You tell us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. Lord, looking not for Antichrist, but looking for the return of Jesus Christ to come and take us out of the way, Lord, so that you can finish up this era, this age, Lord. You could deal with the devil and his followers, Lord God, and you could set up your righteous kingdom forever and ever. Bless your people, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord God, in our weakness, Lord. Help us to be light for you in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Email us at podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to California.